0: 7.45 on a Saturday morning time once again for a wine chat with our friend Jack Farrell from Haskell's. Good morning, Jack. Hi, Denny. How are you today? I'm doing quite well. Beautiful day. I love yeah. this time of year. And uh, hope you're doing... today. Yeah, that's right. It is the fishing opener. And are right. you going to be talking about things related to that? Well, I'm only going to say one thing. I'm going to talk about a different subject entirely. But I am going to say that when it comes to shore lunch and fishing opener... The best wine to have to go with, whether you've caught crappies or bluegills or my favorite walleye, is a wine called Muscadet, not to be confused with Muscatel. Muscadet, M-U-S-C-A-D-E-T, is an area in the Loire Valley of France, right? As the Loire goes into the Atlantic Ocean, that whole area going upriver there is called Muscadet. And they make a marvelous, light little wine with good acidity, nice balance. And in my mind, it goes absolutely perfect with your Shoreline It And the marvelous thing about Muscadet is they're very inexpensive. It's hard to find one that's over $14. So you can get them generally for about 10 or $12 a bottle. And they are absolutely delicious and a perfect wine to have. With walleye, whether you're having a shore lunch or you're frying it at home uh, or or sautéing it, however you plan on cooking the walleye, it just goes perfectly with them. Again, it's muscadet. You'll find it almost everywhere. Uh, There's some real good ones. I had a good friend once, uh, the Marquis de Goulain, who made wonderful muscadet, and he was so proud of the fact he could have uh, the lines of England and the fleur-de-lis of France on his coat of arms, because his family settled something in the Hundred Years' War back in with Joan of Arc in the uh, 15th century. But uh, I fall, fell in love then with Muscadet. I still am. And I, like I say, if you had all the money in the world to spend and you're going to have shore lunch, have Muscadet. It is a delight, and you'll be so happy you discovered that white. white. But what I'm going to talk about today, a good friend of mine, Stephen Spurrier, Uh, died a few months ago, and Stephen was just a a fixture in the wine industry for many, many years. And what he's best known for is 45 years ago, this next week, he decided to have, he had a French wine shop in Paris, he was a British chap, and he had this French wine shop in Paris, and he and his American friend, uh, Patricia Gallagher, decided it'd be kind of fun to compare French wines with American wines and see what the results were. And so they began something that is called now the Judgment of Paris. And what they did is they, Patricia went to California and picked out a bunch of wines. And uh, Stephen invited some of his colleagues in uh, France to submit their wine. And what they compared was California Cabernet to French Bordeaux and California Chardonnay to uh, white Burgundy. And as you all know from listening to me Babylon, all these years, uh, all the uh, Burgundy that comes from France is 100% Chardonnay. So they were comparing the Chardonnay of Burgundy to the Chardonnay of California and uh, the Cabernet of California to, a for, for, uh, to Cal- the California Cabernet. Bordeaux Bordeaux's uh, blend. And Bordeaux blend is pretty much all Cabernet. They'll have a little Cabernet Franc, some Merlot, et cetera. It depends where it's from. But they stuck with the wines they picked were primarily cabernet derived, And the, the wines were Stag's Leap from California, Ridge, Heights, Wayne Vineyard, Claudeval, Maya and Fremark Abbey. The uh, red ones from France or Chateau Mouton-Rosjean, Now mind you, that's a first growth, which means it's the top of the top. Chateau Montrose, Chateau Aubryon, another first growth, and Chateau leoville las Both of the Montrose and Léoville are kind of what we would call almost super seconds. Uh, then in the white wines from California, they had Chateau Montalina, Chalon, Spring Mountain, Freemark Abbey, David Bruce, and the whites of Burgundy were Maersot from Girouleau, which is, I think, makes the best merceau. Bone from Joseph Drouin, but their vineyard in Bone was Clo lemouche Mouche, Batard Montrachet, which is uh, in the, elevated into the clouds by Ramonet, and Puligny Montrachet Les Poustel by Domaine Leflev. So the judges had at it, and what judges they had? They were all French. Uh, they had uh, the head of the Appellation d'Origine France. Uh, the, a French publisher, the head of the French Wine Institute. There was, of course, Patricia Gallagher, who organized it. Odette Kahn, who was the editor of the Revue de vendre de France, a uh, famous restaurateur from uh, uh Stephen Spurrier, the host, of course, uh, the head of Chateau Giscours, which is a Margot and very highly thought of property in Bordeaux, They had a waiter, the sommelier, at Tour d'Argent, which is a famous French restaurant right on the Seine, Uh, the head of Domaine Romani Conti, and uh, the head of the restaurant Taillevant. Now, that was one panel, and the testing was performed, and the judges were told to grade on a 20-point scale, which they did, and the overall ranking came out, and what a shock it was. Guess which one won? Stag's Leap Vineyard from California. Who came in second? Chateau Mouton Rothschild. Third, Chateau O'Brien. Uh And in the uh, uh, white wines that came in, who came in first? Chateau Montalina. Now, Chateau Montalina is made by, uh, or was made at that time, by uh, uh, Gergic. And I'm sure you, you all who are interested in wine are aware of Gurgich Hills, which is a California producer. And he made that white wine that, that staggered everybody. Well, one of the reporters that was invited to this, because Spurrier was always good on publicity, happened to work for the New York Times uh, and uh, as well as Time magazine. Well, he reported it in Time magazine and we were off to the races with all of a sudden this shocking news. Up until this point, it was generally conceded all over the wine world that uh, French wines were far superior to any wine anywhere else in the world. They were the best, the Renemois, the peak. Uh, and here it was, these American unheard-of brands bested the best of French wine. and that was quite a topic in this country. The French chose to ignore it and didn't, it appeared in Le Figaro about six or eight weeks afterwards uh, and was panned as an improper tasting, et cetera, et cetera. The French couldn't get over the fact that they had not uh, scored right across the way, the top. Now, what this did for American wines was sensational because American wines always felt they were doing a good job. They were proud of their product. Fun to talk to uh, Gergich about this because he was the winemaker at Chateau Montalina. and uh, it was fun to talk to the French, for example, my friend Roulot, about this, who poo-pooed the whole thing, it just nothing, tisk tisk. At any rate, but what it did was set California wines on the path that they've come to today, where they're recognized all over the world as some of the finest wine produced in the world. But it took this t- testing and, and this judgment to uh, really give them and empower them that they could actually say, look, it, we bested the best and all French judges. The only American on there was Patricia Gallagher, and she and Spurrier, while they graded the wines and all that, left their scores out on the overall scoring for fear it would tip the scales uh, because they might be biased. And Bert Spurrier was convinced uh, that the winner of all this would be French wines. The, the, the California wines didn't have a chance. But the panel of illustrious people, I mean, you know, the head of, of the restaurant, uh, uh the sommelier from. Tour d'argent, the head of Revue de Vene France. in fact, the head of Revue de Vene France said she was bamboozled by the whole thing and for the rest of her life ignored it. Uh, but she chose the American wines as well as all her friends. And what this did was... Uh, make valid the claims California was making. One of the happiest men I ever met right after this was Robert Mondavi. Bob said, you know, I always knew it. I knew it. I knew it when he broke from his family in 68 and uh, started his own winery uh, out of their family winery, which was Mondavi, C.K. Mondavi. uh, He knew that we would be the great wine country That we really are, and we've proven that, you know, not only in California, but in Oregon and other places as well. But the fact of the matter is, it finally made California wines who had been jumping around. Like an ignored teenager saying, Hey, look at me, look at me, I'm here, here, and no one paid much attention to him. And then all of a sudden, this gave them some validity that they were indeed as good as they thought they were. Now, to show you how right this thing was, in San Francisco in 1978, they replicated the tasting, this time with American judges and about half and half, half French, half American. Once again, USA won. Uh, they. Um, Uh, It was in January of 78, and uh, Stag's Leap came up on top again, and they said, well, the Americans were, of course, thrilled with that. The French poo-pooed it. Then they went on to do it again in 86 and 96, and believe me, so after they did it at the end of 10 years, 20 years, and then 30 years, and the American lines held up that well for those 30 years to still win the thing 30 years later. I mean, it was an incredible moment for California wines, and thank heavens that guy from the uh, Time magazine was there, and they wrote a little blurb on it in Time magazine, which, of course, uh, ensured that the results would be seen worldwide. And like I say, it was a sense of empowerment. You can't get over the difference in the wine business uh, right after that happened as to right before it. Uh, the, uh, it just changed everything. And the reason it changed everything is all of a sudden California wines had some credibility. They always thought they did, but they did have some credibility. There's even movies done about it and everything else. And if the Paris went from the Paris wine tasting to the judgment of Paris. And there you have it. A wonderful testament to the fantastic quality that is produced in our own country here in California uh, of the wines therein. Fantastic they, story! It, I it, love that story. It, it, it's so true. I mean, I, the change in in mentality, uh, Denny, of the winemakers was absolutely something to behold. Uh, if you saw them a week before mm-hmm. this tasting, they, they were proud of their wines and everything. But, boy, if you saw him a week after, it was like your son just graduated magna cum laude from the university. <laughs> Fantastic. Jack, I know we have to run, but let's, uh, let's talk about Haskell's, where you can find some marvelous wines that won't cost you a load of money. That's right. And if you're looking for that Muscadet to go with your walleye, look no further than Haskell's. Haskell's has literally thousands, no tens of thousands, of wines available, and they're available at great prices. Stop in and visit the Vineyards of the World at Haskell's. There's a Haskell's near you where you can save on wine. There's Haskell's in Bloomington, Excelsior. There's a Haskell's in Fairbow, right off of 35. Our super supercellar up in Maple Grove is not to be missed. In downtown Minneapolis, there's free parking on Saturday and Sunday. There's a Haskell's at Ridgedale, Plymouth, St. Paul's Highland Village, Stillwater, White Bear Lake, and Woodbury too. And if you can't come in, Go to Haskells.com, and don't forget, we do deliver. Fantastic. Jack, let's do this again next week. You know, Denny, I'm going to look forward to it. Jack Farrell from Haskells. Next hour on CCO, Master Gardener Teresa Rooney will be answering your lawn and garden questions here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Right now in the Twin Cities, 51 degrees.